Attention all personnel. Incoming podcast. This is MASH Matters. Since when did they put a stewardess on this run? She's with the USO. Medics thinks it's her appendix. Right down my alley. I wrote the book on the appendix. I even wrote the appendix, but they took that out. <laughs> oh, it's okay. I'm fine. So, oh. <laughs> you show biz, folks. Always with the funny walks. Direct me to the nearest threshold. How long have you had these pains? Oh, just for a few days. Wasn't too bad at first, but now it hurts like heck. You can say hell here. This is Korea. If you can't say hell in hell, where in hell can you say it? That is a clip from the two-part season 10 opener, That's Showbiz, with Alan Alda and Gail Edwards, who was guest starring as a character named Marina Ryan. And that character of Marina Ryan was based on a real person, Marina Bryant, who, years before she inspired an episode of MASH, crossed paths with none other than Private Igor himself, Jeff Maxwell. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Ryan Patrick. It's wonderful to be here again for another MASH Matters podcast. Yes. This is very exciting because um, having somebody named Marina create a story that a character named Marina is part of, and it got on the air and became a MASH episode is really exciting, and it's going to be exciting to learn about it. Yeah. These two episodes were filled with tremendous guest stars, you know, iconic actors and actresses. So the show is cool. And this is going to be a real wonderful look behind the scenes about how that show came about. It is. And it's very rare that you get to talk to somebody whose story was actually the inspiration for the show. You're going to hear a lot of great stories as we welcome Marina Bryant to MASH Matters. This is a very exciting uh, episode of MASH Matters, very exciting on a number of different levels, because not only does this have a great deal of behind-the-scenes information about MASH and how a MASH show is actually born and how it gets on the air and where the ideas come from, but it also is a kind of an interesting show because it's kind of filled with coincidences that happened with me and with our guest and with the actual subject of MASH. So without any further ado, uh, I'm going to introduce our guest and have her say hello, and then we'll kind of get into what actually happened and why she's here. So I'd like to introduce Marina Bryant. Uh, welcome to MASH Matters, Marina. Thank you very much. It's wonderful to be here. Well, we appreciate you being here. Now, just so I can fill in a little bit of background, um, you used to... Um, well, I'll, I'll start with me. <laughs> Why not? You know, Sounds good to me. My podcast? I can start with me. What the heck? So years ago, my partner and I had a comedy team, and we were called Garrett Maxwell. I was the Maxwell half, and he was the Garrett half. His name was Bill Garrett probably still is. And uh, my name is Jeff Maxwell. So we were a comedy team and we were fortunate enough to be hired by the USO, the United Service Organization, uh, which is very responsible for sending various celebrities and entertainers overseas to entertain our troops. And they do a wonderful job. They've been doing it for a long, long time. Probably one of the most iconic and famous persons uh, who did that was Bob Hope, who not only did it for the troops, but he also made money doing it because he would film it and then package it 
and sell it to various networks and do pretty well. But he was real sincere, real genuine, and he not only was there himself performing on stages around the world, but he also took kind of a troupe with him. So he would take other performers and actors along with him to do a good show for the troops who needed it. And that's been going on for a long, long time. And as I say, my partner and I were uh, fortunate to uh, have been hired by them. We kind of created a little show. We took a trio and a, another woman performer with us to uh, go to various places. We were supposed to go to Vietnam, but at the very last minute, there were something hot, too hot in Vietnam. And the USO called and said, hey, can't go to Vietnam, but we're going to send you to Japan, Korea, Guam, and Okinawa, and you're going to have a great time doing that. So we went, okay, that's fine. So uh, we worked with this USO, and we worked with this really very nice woman there named Marina Bryant. And she was very helpful in coordinating various things that you have to do before you go overseas. And we thought she was the bee's knees. We liked her very much. We had a great time. We went off on the tour, went to Korea, came back. Wonderful experience, incredibly good experience. We actually did it again in 1974. We also went back to Korea and also performed for all the troops overseas. So I'm a guy who did USO tours. I met this wonderful woman named Marina Bryant. She helped us get on the tour. And I then came back. And then years later, I was on MASH. So now I've got this relationship with this woman who is working for the USO. And then I go to Korea. And by golly, then I'm on a show about Korea. That's kind of coincidental, isn't it? I mean, everybody so far, Marina, you think it's kind of coincidental? Oh, yes. It got even funnier. Okay. <laughs> Ryan, are you into this? Are you on the edge of your seat about what's going to happen? I'm sorry. Who are you? Okay. Your name again? <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> so now, years later, there's a show called That Showbiz. And this show called That Showbiz was uh, turned into a two-part episode that opened the 10th season of MASH. And here's the big punchline. Marina Bryant's true story of what happened to her when she went on USO tours was actually bought by 20th Century Fox and the producers of MASH in order to turn it into that two-hour episode known as That Showbiz. Is that wild or what? I think I get chills just saying that. It's a small world. Very small world. So I'll stop talking and we'll go back to Marina. Marina, yes. I'd love you to kind of give us a, a little history about how the heck all that happened and what happened to you really. And then we're going to find out how that turned into the television show MASH. Do we have six hours? I can yeah. <laughs> Well, I've, I've talked for four of them. So go ahead. You get you got the last two. Um, thank you for of all for having me on the show. It is a combination of things that happen to people in their lives and how it comes together. And uh, it started with me wanting to go on a USO show, just like Jeff wanted to. And I was still in my teens and you had to be at least 20 to go on the shows. So uh, my partner and I, we were both folk singers. And so we used to do a lot of volunteer things for USO. They'd send us out to Mojave Desert and play the war games and all kinds of things on a flatbed truck <laughs> and the sand blowing, I'm, you know. I'm glad they didn't send us out to the Mojave Desert. I, I know, <laughs> I know. Hey guys, you're going to the Mojave <laughs> Desert. You may not come back. It gets hot out there too. It does, it does. But we did all this and the fellow that was running it at the time kept sending the same people. And they only sent like one show at a time. And this is in 1964 that we finally got to go. And we, like Jeff, went on like a little variety show. And so we did folk songs was our part of it. 
and took off on November 22nd, 1964, which is a whole lifetime ago. And the thing was that, you know, for somebody who really wanted to travel, never thought I would be able to do that. Plus, I was doing something I loved, which was music and to sing for the troops. And like Jeff, you know, you grow up watching Bob Hope Christmas shows, which really inspired me. I thought, I want to do that, too. Yeah. And we flew, we went everywhere and we wound up going into Vietnam in the beginning of January 65. And we had 50,000 troops there at the time. So we were doing shows all over. We came back, went up to Alaska. People didn't realize we had 50,000 troops up in Alaska. So it's like all over. And the USO is very organized. I was really pleased to go. And I'm sure Jeff felt the same way. You always had an escort. It was very scheduled. They really took care of you. <laughs> I, I don't mean to interrupt. Our escort officer in Korea was an entomologist. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> bug guy. He was a bug uh, specialist. Yes. So we would be walking down a street and he'd look over and he'd go, oh, stop a minute, stop. And he he run over to the wall and there was this thing that looked like an eagle splayed out on the wall. Yeah. And he'd go, that's a moth. And he'd pick it up and the poor thing would... But the moth, it was the size of a crow, those moths in oh, Korea. Yeah. I don't remember. Remember, they were huge. And so we had to stop every wall to look at the bugs. Anyway. <laughs> now, that, so I, I was our escort officer. You're going to be okay. Your lives are in the hands of this guy. <laughs> He's looking at <laughs> bugs and caterpillars. A little, little scary. Yeah. Anyway. So when I got back, I wanted to keep traveling. And during that time, I traveled on World Airways. You probably did too, Jeff, because those yeah. were military flights, MAC flights. Yeah. So on my 21st birthday, I got to go on my very first flight, taking 165 guys over to Vietnam. But I kept being around the military. I kept, you know, being around all that. Uh, and then I went back in country. And the reason I mentioned with USO, and during all those times, of course, you run into other shows. And these are the smaller shows. A lot of people know about the bigger shows. And like when Bob Hope, he would take... 70 to 80 people with him, and they would have to stay like in Thailand, fly into Vietnam, do the show and so forth. So they had very big audiences. But the smaller shows, like what Jeff and I both did, were for the smaller bases, smaller shows. And the difference between what USO does and an independent show is USO, when you do a show, it has to be for all ranks and no liquor served. And there are a few other rules. And when you do an independent commercial type of uh, show, and there were a lot of commercial entertainers in Vietnam during the years, uh, you could play in the O Club, EM Club, NCO Clubs. They did serve liquor and so forth, but you were pretty much on your own. You went through special services, and then you had to go book your own shows with the different clubs, and then you had to basically hitchhike with permission on military aircraft, anything that flew, to get around the country. And what happened is I went back into country. So I was in Vietnam, 68 into 69. So if any of your listeners out there were Vietnam vets or their families that, that had Vietnam vets. 68-69 was a pretty turbulent time. Very. Yeah. That's a whole nother story because we wound up during the Tet Offensive and my show went home. The other girl's show went home. The fellow in our group was a correspondent with UPI and he was tired of getting shot at. So we formed a trio called the Mustache and Us and we traveled <laughs> around the country for 14 months. You didn't have the mustache, right? No, no. <laughs> okay. Just checking. Oh, the guys knew him. He was like this adventurer. He had an 11-inch mustache from tip to tip and a beard. <laughs> 
Andy, who was our bass player, she had red hair and I had long blonde hair. So this was a very odd looking little trio. <laughs> so is this group, is that show the one that's in question in terms of what, what we're going to hear about what happened? Yeah. Some of the things that happened were during that, but also, and I'm going to get into the storyline so you can see how it all came together. And like you all have talked about how wonderful, like Burt Metcalf interviewed so many doctors and, and the different writers to get stories, real stories to work with and the ideas. Mm-hmm. And that's what they were doing with me. They bought my story, but then I met with the writers and they pulled together a lot of the stories from my story and the characters. But so just just one little capsule though, I came back and that's when I went to work for Hollywood US overseas shows and met Jeff. And I was working in the office. So I helped with doing security clearances and taking people to the airport and so forth. And so briefly met you all and you were Maxwell and Garrett. They were great and they were funny in the office. I remember how much you kept making me laugh. That was <laughs> why I remembered you so much. Well that's that's why I liked you. You kept laughing. I mean yeah. I, I I'm a good audience. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm a good shill, put me in the audience. So years go by, and I'm on the road as a musician and so forth. I've moved to Atlanta since then. And I, of course, had seen the movie MASH. I even knew the screenwriter for the movie MASH, Ring Lardner Jr., who got the Academy Award for the screenplay, by the way. That's right. But then, of course, watching the TV show MASH. And I had written my story. And then as more and more that I watched it, I kept thinking, I could change this. And some of the characters like Hawkeye and everything are perfect because of what happened to me. My doctor was like Hawkeye and some of the characters and how it related. So I rewrote it and added a lot of things. But here's the problem. And you both know Hollywood and how it works. It's very hard to get a story or a script to somebody unsolicited, especially an ongoing show like MASH. They use their screenwriters and they don't take outside material. So some of the writers that I knew that read it said, oh, this is really, really good, but you're going to need an agent, but you're not going to get an agent because you have no credits. Mm-hmm. Jeff, I'm sure you've run into these kind of things before. You Just know? this morning, actually. <laughs> it's very frustrating when you're new. But one day after years going by, it was very interesting. And it was because I read a little story about MASH and that how the screenwriters were, you know, interviewing the doctors, getting real stories. And I thought, huh. Now, when I was 19, I worked at Universal Studios in publicity in the photo still department. And so I had been working there. And I learned that in fan mail, that if it wrote, I don't know if this is true anymore, so nobody try this. But if, if it said personal on the letter, they couldn't open it. They would have to deliver it to the person. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a handwritten letter to Bert Medcalf, bless his heart, in a flowered envelope with personal on it, a little perfume. <laughs> yeah, Bert's a pushover for perfume. I'm telling you. A, little, a little cologne or perfume and you're in. You got to try. You know, I just got to try. I, I wrote just one page simple what the storyline was about based on real people. And uh, to my surprise, one month later, I get a phone call directly from Bert Metcalf. Wow. I almost fell off the couch. <laughs> and he said, I'm very interested. He's, and he was so nice and so kind. He said, I want you to register it with the guild and da, 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 da. So he gave me all the right things to do. 
sent it to them and they bought my story. And he told me, he said, our people are doing the screenplay. I'm not sure how we're going to do this, but you know, you don't have control over this. But he called me a number of times and, and he was so nice. And I was so surprised that then it went to a two half hour So it was a double episode. Mm -hmm. And one thing just to mention to you, too, about obstacles, because I had contacted him in 1980, and it was going to be part of the ninth season. It wound up being the opening of the tenth season because there were ongoing strikes that year. I'm not sure if it started with music or the producers or whomever, but when I went to 20th Century to meet with the writers that day, there was nobody in the studio but us. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. And so there were lots of delays. So, but you know, good things happen for a reason. Yeah. See, the 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 uh, the episode that showbiz is based on a USO show like the one you did and like the one I did, mm-hmm. that goes to the MASH camp Yes, and stays there for various reasons. Mm-hmm. It's amazing because the show, I'm sure you, it, it starred, let's see, it had guest stars Amanda McBroom, for gosh sakes. What's the matter, Major? Didn't I soothe your savage breast? Uh, no offense, Miss uh, Carlisle, but I've always been of the opinion that squeezing is a technique best suited to making orange juice, not music. Yes, and Amanda wrote the beautiful song, The Rose, and she is a wonderful singer, still singing. And uh, Marina Ryan, great Broadway and television actress who was on Full House and all kinds of other stuff. Oh, no, 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 Jeff, that's the thing. Marina Ryan was the name of the character, but it was Gail Edwards. Oh, I'm sorry. Right, right, right. You're right. I'm sorry. Gail Edwards, and the character was Marina Ryan. Sorry. That's all right. And then Danny Dayton, who was a, a comic and an actor, and he was in the in the episode as well great guy very funny guy uh, you want to talk about army food those chickens were classified 4f foul 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 and of course the iconic gwen verdon yes legend legend yes. a legend oh incredible human being incredible talent hey guys yep you are not dreaming it is me in the flesh so to speak <laughs> I was so thrilled that she was doing it because the character was amazing what she did. And these were wonderful actors and actresses in a show that was really sort of based on your experience. So Mm -hmm. that experience, what happened to you? What the heck happened? (laughs) What did you do? I had amazing timing is what it is. So, okay. This is a combination of, as I said, the different shows I was with also the different people. So yes, my character is in there. The girl that plays the uh, singing partner in the MASH episode, her character name is Sarah Miller, and that was based on Pat Miller, who I went to high school with, and we sang, and we did the first USO shows together. And we added a storyline about the ballet slippers, which I'll tell you about in a moment, and we put it to her, but it was something that happened, but we both knew the gentleman that this was involved with. The part of Gwen Verdon, which she did so perfectly, she plays a former burlesque queen, and the storyline is based on Gypsy Rose Lee. And for those that are way too young to remember who Gypsy Rose Lee is, think of the movie and the Broadway play Gypsy, and that's based on her life story as a burlesque queen. Gypsy was a very, very funny lady, and she developed the whole comic kind of comedian attitude of stripping. She never stripped totally naked or anything. She did it with this art. She created the art of burlesque. And 
So she went on handshake tours with the USO. And I first met her because in real life, and this is where the episode came, I had a ruptured appendix up at the DMZ during a mortar attack in Vietnam on an open road. And we jumped out of a Jeep, had to roll down an embankment. It's drizzling. The only person missing was John Wayne. (laughs) My gosh. A mortar attack, and you had to leap out of a Jeep and roll down a hill. Yes. So you were being attacked by your appendix and mortars. This is true. And we were right along the flight line. So they were shooting into the flight line over us. So the Marines come running down there, and they jump on top of us being the gallant gentlemen that they are. Wow. They really were protecting us. I mean, so it was okay. But I, it was muddy. And I'm laughing because, you know, when you're really scared and you're hurting, and uh, I was sort of in a fetal position, and there was a medic there, and he says, are you hurt? And they thought maybe I broke something rolling down the, the side there. And I said, no, no. And I, he said, where? And I showed him it was my right side. And, and I can't repeat what he said in a really great Southern accent because I can't do that on the air, but it was very funny. And so I, they brought me back to Da Nang. They still weren't sure what was wrong. They just knew I was in a lot of pain. And I wound up at the 95th EVAC, which is near China Beach in Da Nang area. And um, I had the most wonderful surgeon who, in my story, became Hawkeye. Wow. And I will relate to him as Leo, so I don't get him in too much trouble. (laughs) He had his own practice. He was called up in reserves, and he was an OBGYN. And all the midwives used to bring him the mothers that were in trouble. And he said he learned more about his profession being in Vietnam. Never lost a baby, never lost a mother. He was absolutely incredible. So I couldn't have asked for a better surgeon. I must say, Piers, I certainly do envy your surgical assignment. How I'd love to sink my scalpel once again into a simple appendix. It's such a useless yet highly lucrative little organ. Yeah, well, this useless little organ should have been registered as a concealed weapon in a couple of hours and it could have ruptured. But our ward were Quonset huts. So I had 10 guys in my Quonset hut and I was still very, you know, with it at that point. I had pain pills, but I was pretty with it. So they said, they're going to have to take me in for surgery. Uh, He examined me and he said, you know, we have to do something. We're not sure what we're going to find, but we got to do something. And like in MASH, when they wheel you down past all the surgeries going on, imagine these doctors looking up and saying, oh, hi, you're American. Where are you from? And I'm going, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, what are you taking me into? What, were, you, I mean, were you scared? I, it sounds, I mean, I would be a little bit scared. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Damn right I was scared. You know, I'm 24. I've never had surgery like this. And yeah, it was like, can I call my mother? Uh, you know, we, we didn't have communication like you have today. Did they know? Did they assume it wasn't a, an appendix? Yeah, he was pretty sure. Yeah. But the care that I got from the nurses, the doctors, everybody, it happened very quickly. Maybe that's what was a good thing that, you know, it wasn't something I had a lot of time to think about. But during the night, I had this little medic who sat with me all night long because I had tubes everywhere. When you have emergency surgery, that's what happens. Uh, He stayed with me all night and they had screens around me. Now I have a room full of GIs in the other beds that I had briefly met when they waved at me as they were taking me away. So in the morning, and I kept begging him to take the tubes out. And being the female I am, um, 
I said, bring me water, makeup, and fix myself <laughs> up, put a little thing on my head because I was such a mess. And they took the screens away. And I had the greatest roommates you could ever ask for in your life. Oh, how fun. That's oh, my great. God. Yeah, fun. Uh-huh. Well, like, it wasn't fun. No, but, I mean. I, yeah, but it made all the difference. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the ones that could walk around would come help me. And then when I had to start trying to walk, the guys would take turns walking me up and down between the beds. And it was like this teamwork kind of thing. So then when I was well enough to walk around, I could go and visit different people. So that's where the initial storyline came in. And during my time there, one of the visitors that came through was Gypsy Rose Lee. Hmm. Now imagine she's past her prime as a burlesque queen because now it's in the 60s and her time was like in the 30s, early 40s. Although she used to go on the Steve Allen show all the time because she was so funny. Did you see Gypsy when you were a patient? Yes. Oh, I didn't realize that. Wow. Yes. So you were an audience when you saw Gypsy. Yes, but you see, I Ah. had seen her in Hollywood because I used to go to the Steve Allen show and I'd see her on that, which I I thought she was great. I also saw in her little theater thing that she had done showing her old burlesque movies, which was very funny. So here's Gypsy comes running through with more energy than 10 people in a big basket of fortune cookies with dirty jokes in them. (laughs) These cookies are dirty. Listen to this. Confucius say man who chase woman in dark often end up with... (laughs) I got one about a traveling... Sellers, there are women present. Speak up so we can hear you. (laughs) And so she's running around bed to bed to all the guys and just laughing and loud and handing out these fortune cookies and handing out little pictures of her when she had her fans, when she used to do fan dancing and signing it. And I had this little 18-year-old GI in the bed right next to me. And she's just hysterical. And she thought it was wonderful to have a woman in the bed with all these guys. I was going to say, maybe she'd get to you and she'd say, well, what's wrong with you, fella? <laughs> no, she was, she was great. She thought it was great. She said, what a morale lifter. She thought oh, this was okay, fabulous. Sure. Yeah. And when she went flying out the door, this this wonderful little 18-year-old looks at me and says, who was that lady? <laughs> And I had to explain to him what burlesque was and the whole thing. Wow. She meant a lot to me. Mm -hmm. Sure. And when Verdon playing Gypsy, they kept it all in. The fortune cookies with the jokes. She used to wear this little hair piece on the top of her head. And there's a scene where Gwen Verdon takes it off her head. You know, I'd give anything to have a gorgeous head of hair like yours. Oh, thank you. I was just thinking the same thing about your lovely head of hair. How do you manage to keep it so beautiful? Oh, simple. I give it the night off. So all the little nuances that about Gypsy were there. Uh, and like Jeff and I talked about, it seemed like so many of these shows had accordion players. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's easy. Yeah. You know, you don't have to carry a piano around. you got an accordion. And they all knew that one song, right? Yeah. They did. <laughs> Lady of Spain. Lady of Spain. <laughs> So that was the writer's idea, because when we had our conversations, and I said, you know, it's not really in my story, because we did not have an accordion player. But I said, it seemed like all the tours had them. So they jumped on that. (laughs) And then when I went to visit the set, MASH, which is the other story about Jeff. We're going to get to Jeff here in a minute. Oh, 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 good. Oh, look at the time. Well, thanks, Marina, for coming. All right. (laughs) Lovely talking with you. You were hysterical. You were so funny. 
But David Argonsteers was there and we talked about it and he was telling me how they were trying to find the right music because the storyline of Amanda playing the accordion player was that she was really a classical player. And that's how she and Charles bond because they find out that she really is a classical player. And so, you know, these different characters just all worked well. But there was one, if I may, and you can stop me anytime, but these are the characters in the show to show you how they came into the storyline. You know about Hawkeye. I will say one thing because Bert called me up and said, Marina, we added something to the storyline, but believe me, it's going to be okay. And then I said, okay, what? He said, well, we decided that she's going to have a very innocent crush on Hawkeye. Hmm. I said, no, wait a minute. (laughs) Wait a minute. You know, this is me. So what are you doing? He said, no, 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 no. She's going to have an innocent crush and he's not going to deflower her because he, you know, he, he's sort of the womanizer and everything, but he looks at her as this sweet girl from back home. I said, so he runs after every woman but me. <laughs> Thank you, Bert. Thanks a lot, Bert. Insult to injury, huh? <laughs> yeah. But then when they shot the thing, they, they made her a lot more aggressive. And I remember I was watching it and I went, no, 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 I wouldn't have done that. No, I wouldn't have done that. You know. In your story that you wrote, was there any sort of hint of some sort of a, a relationship between you and the doctor? Not really, other than just a great friend, because personally, I was in no shape to think about anything but give me more pain pills. Yeah, really. You were sick. I, I, I literally swept you off your feet. All you see is a miracle man in a white suit. Oh, come on, Hawkeye. I'm not a kid. I see who you really are. All you've seen is the bedside of my manner. You haven't seen the bad side. The real Hawkeye Pierce is an egotistical, irresponsible martini guzzler. Now who's the song and dance man? Look, I can show you a room full of women as lack of character witnesses. I can't... I can't take advantage of your feelings for me. He was absolutely a wonderful guy, and everybody in that place loved him. In fact, very funny like you, Jeff. They didn't have money to build an O-Club, so he and the other doctors went and borrowed lumber and stuff from the CB camp and built an O-Club, so they had a place to go drink. You know, I don't, because I messed up the name a minute ago, but I, I want everybody to know that the character of Marina Ryan in the show is you, <laughs> Marina Bryant. Oh, oh gosh. Did you know that? Oh. Marina, you didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> wow. This is pretty cool. And the funny thing was because Bert was so sweet and, and I had used my nickname in my, in my story because my nickname when I worked in Vietnam and as a flight attendant, everybody just knew me as Tiger. Very few people even knew me <laughs> as Marina. And no, we're not telling that story either. Okay. Well. Darn it. No, my mother named me that. That's It's so innocent. Hmm. But it was easier to remember. And so he said, we want to use your real first name because that way people know it's your story. Oh. I think they said my name a hundred times. And yeah, I said, Bert, they say it a lot. Yes, yeah. They, they do. They I do. Know. I, they said, I, said, do. I said, Bert, that's a lot. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> um, but, but Dale Edwards was, was really, really good. And, and I had the opportunity to talk to her years later because I wasn't there when they were shooting the film. I had to have surgery again. I told you, it's that's just a poor yeah. thing. Gee whiz. But I'm good now. I'm, I'm good now. Okay. So we know that Gwen Verdon's character, Brandy Doyle, based on Gypsy Rose Lee. Yes. You mentioned that, was it the Sarah Miller character was based on your real friend? Yes, Pat Miller. And then you've got Ellie, 
the accordion player played by Amanda McBroom. Mm -hmm. Also, there's this character, Fast Freddy Nichols. Was that part of your original story or was that something that was added by the writers? It was in conversation. And I said most of the shows, and we had one in our USO show that was a comedian, but he went home early. He had some problems. So the bass player had to become a very funny bass player and MC. And he had never done wait, it before. Wait, is there such a thing as a funny bass player? No. <laughs> bass players are not funny. <laughs> I've known it. You've known you've known a lot of bass players. Yes. They're not funny, are they? they not usually. Not usually. No. Drummers are funny. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, guitar players can be funny. Bass players are not funny. But there were there were two little things here, if I may. The storyline about the ballet slippers was a real story. But I, I want you to tell that. I want to hear that because it's really a cool story. But yes. I just realized yes. something else as I'm sitting looking at some of the notes that I paid no attention to yes. whatsoever when I started. Me neither. I haven't either. Um, <laughs> your name, Marina nice. Bryant, that's your name. And I just realized that they added a B at the beginning and T on the end. Yeah, they just took them off. <laughs> they just, uh, I mean, yeah, they, uh, see, I'm getting it. Did they take them off? Yeah, they took them off to make yeah. Marina Ryan. How do you like them? Well, that's pretty cool. Isn't it nice? That just does not happen all the time. Yeah. I think that's a real compliment to you from the staff of MASH that they thought enough of you to actually do that because sometimes they just don't. And for them to use most of the, you know, your experiences mm-hmm. and all the characters, that's really that's really quite a tribute. So you should be really proud of that. I know you are, but I'm telling you now, you. that just doesn't happen all the time. They were very kind to me, and I so enjoyed sitting and talking to the writers. I wish I could have had more time with them. They were just wonderful, and yeah. I am so grateful to Bert Medcalf. What a wonderful, wonderful guy, and uh, he just couldn't have been kinder to me, and I just thank him so, so much for this opportunity to let that happen. I wonder if you had not sprayed perfume on his letter and written private on his letter, if it ever would have gotten to him and and we'd ever be talking to you about this episode. We need to ask Bert. That would be a good question for Bert. Also, I'm concerned about the high level of smelly mail that's now going to be sent to Hollywood because of this episode. With personal on it. That was so long ago, so I I don't think that happens. Do you remember the perfume, what it was? Shalimar. Shalimar. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm writing that down. Yes, Shalimar. Shalimar. Yes, but anyway, the ballet slippers. Yes. Very important uh, storyline. And I was so pleased again that they kept it in the story. This actually did happen in real life. And there was a young man, he was the oldest son in their family. In fact, his brother was in a famous rock group. And he was, uh, George was a career officer uh, in the army, a helicopter pilot. And the first time we ran into him on the USO show, he was in Tegu, Korea, in fact. And all the girls there that we met said, oh, the movie star, because he was a very handsome young guy and just as sweet as can be. And he came home on leave from Vietnam. I was still overseas. And my mother used to interpret for the Bolshoi Ballet that used to come over to Hollywood uh, from the Soviet Union. And she was having a party and she invited George to come. And of course, he walks in in that uniform. I think all the women probably fell on the floor. (laughs) 
But he met a beautiful ballerina, and even with the language barrier, they met, and they only had a very short time together because he was only there a short time. And I think there were a lot of feelings between them. And she knew she was going back to Russia, he was going back to Vietnam, and they would never see each other again. And she gave him her ballet slippers. Mm. And he kept them with him and took them back with him. And shortly before he was to come back, he was killed in Vietnam. And a lot of his personal belongings were missing when they were sent back to the family. And during that time, I was flying still. And I was able to go down and meet with the the minister down there and some of his friends. And we never were able to locate his belongings, nor the slippers. So when I told the writers about the story, and so they wanted to, in the story, find the slippers. And when I spoke with his mother, she was crying and she said, I feel like we found the slippers. Oh, wow. What an experience. My My brother was in love with the ballerina and they planned to get married. And the night before he shipped out, she gave him a pair of her toe shoes and he treasured them as his only link to her. When his effects were returned, the shoes weren't among them. I thought if I could find them, his fiancée and I would have a memory of him we could share. And if I may, I know we might run out of time, but I'm going to keep telling you these things because this is where the story came from. Yes, please. The character, uh, he was a patient in the MASH episode, and they named him Mike. Hi, Michael. I like my friends to call me Mike. Okay. Mike. Are they treating you okay? Nothing to worry about, Mike. I got the greatest doctor in the world. That's good. And if they start giving you a hard time, just tell them they'll have to answer to no wiki. In real life, his name was Dan. Now, in the storyline, they simply had him not being communicating with anybody, and the character of Marina gets him to start communicating, bringing him back out of the shock that he was in. In real life, while I was a patient at the 95th EVAC, there were three men brought in, a lieutenant, sergeant, and radio men. The lieutenant and sergeant were in my Quonset hut, is what the wards were. But the radio man was across the hall in the other one because they were really having to work on him. They wanted to stabilize him to get him to Tokyo. He was very badly wounded. So when they came in, and I was at that point where I could walk a little bit, and so they could walk a little bit. And so they told me about their friend in the other ward, and they were really worried about him. And they wanted to go over and see him. And they asked me, they said, would you go with us? And I said, well, if you can get a wheelchair, because I can't really walk. So they put me in a wheelchair. Nobody was watching. So we snuck across the hall (laughs) into the other Quonset hut and went to his bed. He was bandaged up a lot and had lots of IVs and transfusions and stuff. And he was on a lot of morphine. And I don't remember exactly what I said to him, but I remember just I put my hand on his arm and I was just talking to him and saying that we're here and that we're going to be coming to see you, just gently talking with him. And he kept looking at me and I thought, I don't know if he hears me. I don't know what the reaction is going to be. And the guys were just so shocked because he was still bearded and, you know, not looking good. And he looked at me and he said, it's not fair. And I said, what's not fair? And then he looked at me and he said, it's just not. He says, why are you in their room and not mine? (laughs) And the guys just looked at me and they said, he's going to be okay. (laughs) He's going to be okay. He's getting a lot better. That's funny. So he went back to sleep. And and in short, the next day, now they're getting him ready to go to Tokyo because they're going to have to do more surgery and everything on him. 
In he comes in a wheelchair, the sergeant wheeling him in. He's got his IV with him. He's all clean shaven. And he comes over to the side of my bed and says, hi. I said, what are you doing? You're supposed to be in bed. He says, well, I want to come visit you. And I said, go back to bed. I will come over to see you. So the next morning they were shipping him out and I'm sitting on my bed and he walks into our room. Even the guys were shocked. He snuck out of his place, walked over to where I am, comes up to my bed, sits down on the bed next to me and smiles and says, now you're in trouble. (laughs) And the nurse comes running in because they went to get him to get him to the plane and he's gone. And she's searching for him and she comes running in and sees him sitting on my bed. Now I feel like a troublemaker. And she just had tears in her eyes and the doctor came running in and they just stood there in shock because there's no way he could be walking over to our place. So they quickly got him in a chair and hugged him and the guy said goodbye to him and, and they took him to Tokyo. Wow. So the character of Mike is based on this young man named Dan. Mm -hmm. And hope to God he got home okay. Again, I I am just, uh, I'm very impressed and uh, very happy for you that so many of your experiences were embraced by the writers and really turned into what they turned it into. Mm -hmm. I keep saying it, it's an amazing thing because uh, show business is show business. And, you know, it's hard to get your stories out there. And like you said, you you have to use perfume and (laughs) personal (laughs) on envelopes to get anybody to pay any attention to you. But the fact that they did embrace it is just a wonderful, wonderful thing. So I, I congratulations on that because that just you. doesn't happen all the time. Oh, yeah. And a, a tribute to the writers yes. who recognized that there was meat there. There was good stuff in those stories. Because I know as you're talking about, I'm I'm experiencing in my memory here all the stuff that I went through on, on the two tours that I went through. It's very emotional yeah. and it stays with you a great deal. And especially you'd say going into hospitals, I did the same thing. Very, very difficult thing. And we went into the hospitals in Japan, which were the hospitals that the wounded from Vietnam were sent to. Mm-hmm. And so we wandered around. And when they said, would you like to go into the hospital, the wards and talk to the guys, we said, sure. It was not as easy as we thought it was going to be because it was very difficult to see people who were suffering horrible physical uh, issues from the war. Oh, I can't imagine. It was stunning. And I'll never forget it. And you walk into that room and you see those things and you go, please just don't let me pass out. Let me stand up. Let me be able to smile. Let me be able to say hi and how are you and have a conversation. Oh, yeah. Uh, It was tough. It was very tough. So going in and and doing that, I know you did it. And I know you did it beautifully because you're you're a terrific performer and entertainer and a very warm, wonderful person. So I know that those guys loved it. Can I tell the story about meeting you on the set? Do we have time? Oh, yes. Oh, well, I uh, want to hear this. Again, look at the time, kid. No, we're fine on no. time. And you go right ahead, Marina. Wait a minute. There's a clown outside. It's my birthday. I got to do something. Um, I got to go to the MASH set at Christmas time. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see Alan Alda and Mike Farrell. They had already left for the Christmas holiday. I did get to meet them years and years later, which I was very grateful 
But I get to the set and Bert put me in a chair, like one of those director chairs. I was sitting there and David Augustiers came and sat with me. We had this great conversation. He was so interesting. And they were shooting just a couple of little scenes. And this was the set at the studio. So I got to see Hawkeye's tent and where you were cooking, bartending (laughs) and everything else. I got to see that, which was great. Great set. And so it was a great set. Oh, it was. And so it was so, so wonderful to see. So there was a break and I went to the ladies room and uh, it was a very large one, you know, like you would see in school, you know, so it was a lot of room in there. And so I'm at the mirror and I'm putting on lipstick and down on the other end is the door going out in the hall. And I hear a lot of commotion out and all of a sudden somebody comes flying into the restroom and it's Jeff Maxwell. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. This is the ladies room, right? Yes. This is the ladies Uh, room. Jeff had been having a liquid lunch with some of the other people in the show, apparently. That's what you said, Jeff. But he was stunned because he didn't think anybody was in the ladies' room. So he was very shocked and gathered himself and did this whole comedy routine of apologizing, saying, I'm really sorry. I didn't know anybody was in here. And goes on and on and on, takes a bow and goes out. And I'm laughing so hard because I'm saying, it's okay. I'm just standing here. He comes back in for an encore and says, I really mean it. I really mean it. I really serve. Goes out again and comes back again. Well, I I had to pee. You know, what are you going to do? I was laughing so hard. So anyway, so he leaves. But I, at the moment, still didn't realize this is the same Jeff I had met years ago. And even when I watched MASH, I kept saying, gosh, he looks so familiar. <laughs> so I go out and I'm standing there watching them set up something. And Jeff comes over to me again to apologize. <laughs> and he says, I really am sorry. Now he's calmer. And he says, we were drinking a little. And I, I said, it's okay. It was really, really funny. And he said, well, what, you know, what are you doing here, by the way? And I said, well, you're going to be shooting an episode of MASH, and it's about USO entertainers. He said, oh, I did USO shows. And then I looked at him and I said, Maxwell and Garrett. <laughs> and he said, how did you know? I said, I did your security clearance. <laughs> now, this is on his behalf. When I was working in the office, the fellow I worked for was kind of a strange dude. And you had to dress very conservatively. And I wore my little round John Lennon glasses and I had my hair up pulled back and everything. So now I could be myself with my funny curly hair. And so he didn't recognize me. And then he went, oh my gosh, it's you. (laughs) (laughs) So that's how we reunited. Oh my gosh. On the MASH set and realized that I was the same person and he was the same person. Wow. What an amazing journey to go from the USO to the actual USO. USOs and we're both doing that and we both go to Korea and then you have this experience and we come home and you write a story and you send it to Bird and they buy it and they make it into an episode and I come in I didn't I go to a bathroom but I went oh no that's not the wrong bathroom and there you are all those years later and you've written that story that became that episode I just think that's amazing yeah. what an amazing thing that is wow and here I am on MASH Matters yeah. and here you are in MASH Matters for God's yes. sake it's all downhill from here yeah. <laughs> yeah, but and you know, as as we're getting, I'm sure closer to the ending of this. May, may I interject though? You know, because I really do thank you both so much for allowing me to come and talk about the people that were so involved with this, the real story, mm-hmm. plus 
you know, the people that were in the show itself that did such a great job. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, well, to the doctor who saved my life, who I did find, by the way, the night before they aired the program, my doctor helped me find him in New Jersey. And I called him up in the office and said, hello. And he just couldn't believe I found him. What touched me was he said he couldn't believe that I remembered him. And I said, what are you talking about? You saved my life. And he said, you know, it's the nurses that hold hands and they're with people, you know, morning, noon, and night. And we were doing this triage 24 hours a day. I said, Leo used to come to my bedside and try and get me to drop my drawers to show your incision to people that weren't even doctors. How am I not going to forget you? He was a funny, funny, great guy and a great doctor. And I hope that I can contact, because I, I, I know how to, uh, members of the 95th EVAC have reunions. Mm. So I'm going to let them know about this also to say thank you to all of them, the most incredible nurses. And that's kind of where I wanted to segue, because that taught me so much the importance of nurses. They are the true heroes. You can ask any vet that was wounded or in the hospitals. Those nurses were such angels working 24 hours a day triage. It really was. And now what we're experiencing today with what's going on in the hospitals, our nurses, doctors, the hospital staffs, we need to be thanking them morning, noon, and night what they're doing to save lives. It's the same kind of people that work during war because this is a war with a virus that we can't see. And I'm just begging everybody, please wear your mask, wash your hands, and do your distancing to help these nurses and doctors and people that are trying to save our lives. So I I just wanted to say thank you to all of them, too, and to the USO that sent a lot of people over to entertain, and USO people that worked in the USOs themselves, and now with all the communication we have and everything, they work in the airports to meet and greet soldiers coming and going. So I just wanted to be able to say thank you, and especially to Bert Medcalf and to the writers and to everybody that was involved with the show. That was beautifully said, Brandon. Yeah. That was really, really, really wonderful. Uh, certainly, I support you and your thoughts about the nurses and doctors and everybody and also in the, the USO, because the USO does a really wonderful thing getting performers to soldiers in very difficult places who need some entertainment because it's a very difficult job to wander around with a gun and a pack on your back and God knows what's going to happen to you at any given second. So having performers come and do what they do and make somebody feel good for a couple of minutes or sing or, you know, do a joke, it really, it goes a long way to uh, help those soldiers. And I I know it because I experienced it. It was an emotional thing for me because I kind of grew up on that first tour. Mm -hmm. I got very involved and understood the the American military system, watched it as an audience, not necessarily as a participant. I wasn't a soldier, but I watched what it did and how it worked, was very impressed with it. Gave me a sense of uh, being an American, what that meant to me at the time. Doing a USO tour, I'd recommend it to anybody who might be listening and say, gee, I'm a performer, I want to do that. Go do it because uh, it'll change your life. It'll give you a great perspective of the world and uh, and yourself. Yes. 
This is a really, really wonderful, rare opportunity because we get to hear stories from the cast and we occasionally get to hear from the writers and the producers. But it's very rare that we get to talk to somebody whose real life experience inspired an episode of our favorite television show. So on behalf of all the MASH fans out there, I want to thank you for all those years ago spraying perfume on that letter (laughs) and sending it to Bert Metcalf, thank you for coming on the podcast here and sharing your story. Thank you so much for that. Thank you very much. And thank you for not calling the police when they shoved me into that bathroom because it would have been would have been awful. Oh, anytime, Jeff. I'm still not convinced that he was shoved, Marina. I, I was don't shoved. know. I was. I don't there were the, know. You know, I some of the know. boys were messing with me and they were yeah. just crazy guys, you know, on a sure. set. He wasn't just shoved. He flew into the restroom. <laughs> just like he rehearsed it. <laughs> well, you're delightful, and I thank you so much. And this is just such a great program. I just love it. Uh, well, you're very sweet. Thank you, Marina Bryan, for sharing this with us. It, it's been a true, 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 true delight. Thank you. She was a fishmonger, and that was no wonder. For so were her father and mother before. <laughs> Thank you, Marina Bryant, for sharing the true story behind that showbiz. And thank you, Jeff, for busting through that ladies' room door so many years ago. (laughs) You know, I firmly believe that some of my compatriots pushed me in there. I didn't do it myself, I'll have you know. I was much more respectful, but uh, some wacky, kooky people threw me in there and then threw me in there three or four more times. (laughs) I don't know what's the matter with those people. Uh, Right, yeah. Marina, I just want to say, Marina is such a wonderful person. I love her dearly. And uh, she was wonderful back then and she's wonderful now. And I really appreciate her coming up with this story and connecting with MASH. And I'm so glad it happened for her and for everybody because it was a wonderful two-part episode. I do want to mention one story that she shared with us after we had finished recording. She was in Vietnam. She was near an air base, which was near a beach, and they would take sandbags and they would fill them with sand from the beach. And then they would take them up on the rooftops of the buildings on base and use these sandbags to write out words for the chopper pilots who were flying in. So when she was there talking to the writers, she tells this story to the writers. Obviously, they could not incorporate that story into an episode, that showbiz, but she recalls one of the writers saying, oh, I love that. We might use that someday, and he writes it down in his notebook. Now, you may be way ahead of me here, so (laughs) flash forward (laughs) to the final scene of the series. The chopper is lifting off. Hawkeye looks down and sees goodbye written in not sandbags, but rocks. So maybe... Just maybe, Marina's story may have in some way inspired the most iconic moment of the entire series. (laughs) Yeah, really? (laughs) If I was a betting man, I'd say it was true. Yeah. I think that was put in somebody's uh, stocking and uh, they pull it out when it was appropriate. I I think it really happened. Well, thank you, Marina. Now, when you all go back and watch the episode, that showbiz, I hope you see it in a whole new light. Yeah. Hey, we want to say thank you before we sign off here. I want to say thank you to our Patreons. You can become a VIP for MASH Matters by going to our website and supporting us. You can go to mashmatters.com slash support and enlist 
we want to salute our VIPs, including Private Andrea Lynn Van Benshoten, Corporal Daniel Montgomery, Corporal Randy Williams, Captain Anita Jones, Captain Lucas Lance, Captain Carolyn Hooker, Major Derek Wade, and of course, Major Joya Albee. Mashmatters.com slash support. Hey, Jeff, our next episode, we had a listener suggestion a while back that we interview each other. And so our next episode, we're going to do just that. Whoa. If you want to learn more about Jeff Maxwell and myself, listen to the next episode. If you don't want to know more about Jeff Maxwell and myself, skip the next episode. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) definitely skip it. Definitely. I mean, I would. (laughs) No, you have a good story and it's going to be good. Everybody should listen to it. And until... Until next time, here's looking up your old address. Alive, alive, alive.